Bretto, the first 200 tickets to the 2018 Wellness Summit sold out in less than 24 hours. Can you believe it? Oh, MP, it's awesome that our Wellness Coach fans are as excited about the return of the Wellness Summit as we are. If you've been hiding under a kale smoothie, Zazen Alkaline Water presents the return of the Wellness Summit on August 25 and 26 in Melbourne. And for one week only, we have 100 seats at a crazy two-for-one special. That's right, MP. Not only do 100 lucky listeners get two tickets for the price of one, but they also receive the digital recordings of the 2018 Summit and all of our previous events. Gee whiz, that's a lot of value, Bretto. That's over $1,400 in value, MP, and all for just $297. That's two tickets for the price of one for two days of powerhouse wellness. That's less than $10 an hour to attend the wellness event of the year. Oh, enough of the number crunching, MP. These 100 tickets are only available this week until Saturday, May 19, or until sold out, whatever happens first. For tickets, the speaker lineup, and all info, go to thewellnesssummit.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat, about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Cindy O'Mara, and I'm here today by myself, uh, as far as there's no Karen or no Kim, but I am interviewing somebody that I only just met on the phone about 30 minutes ago. So yesterday, one of my team members came up to me and said, Cindy, uh, somebody bought in a cookbook for you, but I took it home because you weren't here and I've had a really good play with the cookbook and I love it and I'm going to get my own copy, but this is who um, has done this cookbook for uh, you know, that she's created this cookbook. So I went, yay. So I took it home and last night I flicked through it and thought, oh my goodness, I want to, you know, make some of these things. So then I read a little bit about um, Michelle. We're, we're going to be interviewing Michelle Lynch. I, I read a little bit of it about her story and I decided to call her because I thought her story needs to be told. And it's not that it's an, an unusual story, it's an all-too-common story. But I feel that these all-too-common stories are having unusual outcomes when we change the way we do things. And that's why I asked Michelle, do you have some time now and, and can I interview you? So I'd like to in- every, introduce everybody to Michelle Lynch. She is the author of a self-published cookbook called The Clean Lunchbox and she is a Sunshine Coast mum of four boys and one stepdaughter and um, welcome Michelle. Hi, thank you. <laughs> Michelle, what I want to start with is, um, you know, I, I've read your story in your um, cookbook but I really want you to talk about what happened, you know, maybe maybe start you know, when you got married and had kids um, and how you did things and then work through what happened to two of your children. Um, and, and I'll ask questions in between, but I, I think your story is amazing. Okay. Um, so born in New Zealand and uh, came to the Australia when I was five and I've lived here ever since, mostly on the Sunshine Coast. 
Um, met my husband. We have been married 11 years now and we have four boys, as you said. Um, so I had regular pregnancies and, you know, just a regular mum excited about having a baby and I was 24 when I had Sage. Um, had a caesarean um, due to a long um, labour. Um, so shortly after we had Blake, they're only 17 months apart, and um, then I fell pregnant with Jesse when I was breastfeeding Blake. So then I had Jesse 13 and a half months later um, and had a three-year gap and had Tate. Um, so they were fantastic babies, um, Unfortunately, well, I say unfortunately, but it was a little out of my control. I ended up having four cesareans and looking back, if I had to have my time again, um, I would have, you know, pardon the pun, pushed for a nat more natural birth um, given what I know about gut flora now and um, the, the benefits of having the natural birth as opposed to a cesarean for the baby's um, gut health. However, um, we raised the boys and when Jez was five years old, he had just turned five in um, October and then he started school the next year, um, he was diagnosed with alopecia. Um, so we noticed a little bald patch behind his ear um, that Christmas and not, not really concerned about it. We had heard of alopecia. Someone else's child had, had the condition. Um, knew nothing about it, um, so the GP diagnosed him and we got sent to a dermatologist. Um, I also spoke to, I was starting to do lots of research by that time and I spoke to a trichologist in Brisbane, um, so just gathering information and working out what we were going to do. Um, I wasn't entirely happy with the response from the dermatologist he he basically suggested that we put jazz on steroids and use things like steroid shampoo which was new on the market then um so I sort of walked out of there and just you know thought I'm going to take this on myself and I did heaps of research and um there wasn't a lot out there for alopecia and children especially the case that he had um within four months of diagnosis he had lost all the hair on his head um his eyebrows and eyelashes also fell out and he had no arm or leg hair to be seen so um that was a bit of a bit of a shock he was a little bit oblivious to it to be honest he being just a normal boy he was happy you know he seemed healthy um so basically we changed our diet um, we took out sugar to start with. I guess we ate, you know, a regular diet of, you know, I was, I was, I was always health conscious. Mum always grew vegetables at home and um, things like that. So we didn't have a high sugar diet in, anyway, but um, we backed right off on the sugar and gave up gluten and dairy and um, it went from there really. But you, you actually started um, doing that before Jess's... Um alopecia became evident because your second Blake um had ear infections and you actually yeah. noticed something when he came home from birthday parties which I actually found fascinating because a lot of people don't connect 
what their child is eating to their behavior or to how they're feeling or their coughs or, or things like that. Can, so can you talk about Blake and um, probably the amount of antibiotics he was probably on and when did those antibiotics start and how many ear infections did he have? Yeah, yeah. So um, Blake probably started having ear infections when he was about three, I guess, um, and they weren't they weren't um, that common throughout the year. He had maybe four a year, but they were pretty bad, enough for me to go, he's in a lot of pain, I'll take him to the GP. And um, I guess, you know, he was put on antibiotics and not repeat um, scripts that one, I was never, never had to repeat it. It always cleared up with the one, the one um, course. Um, but I, I know even to this day, if he, um, and I knew back then, if he goes to a birthday party and consumes sugar, particularly with gluten, like to the day, three days later, he'll have a cough, an asthma-like cough, um, and he, when he, around the time he had the ear infections, he hasn't had an ear infection since we cut out all that stuff out of our diet, by the way. He was, um, he, but he still gets that asthma-like cough that he would get back then as well. And it's always three days later. And um, it's just too obvious to me to not go, that's it. That's, you know, that's, you know, he, he ate the cupcake and, and the party food and, Often, I remember one time he um, we went to this party. He was only in kindy, and he ate a cupcake with black icing. Um, and he actually vomited out the front of this person's place. And that was one of the turning points for me as well. I was just like, "This, this cannot happen again. This is, I have to do something about this." And um, yeah, so his behaviour definitely improved. His, he was always sickly looking. He's got, you know, reasonably pale skin um, and bags under his eyes were very prominent all the time and I noticed a huge change in him even two weeks after cutting out sugar for good that he, um, his behaviour improved, his sleep improved. It was just a contrast, different kid, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So... Uh, when did you decide um, to write a cookbook? <laughs> what, what, you know, what got you making all of these changes in, like, I guess, and then what made you just do this amazing cookbook? Um, I guess, like, I remember saying as a young adult, I'm going to have a cookbook one day because I've all, I always loved cooking. We did the Thai course out at the Spirit House and just I love Thai food and um, although we don't eat it much these days. And, you know, I love decorating cakes and things like that. And I always knew I'd have a cookbook. I just had no idea it would come about like this. Um, but I guess in all the recipes, um, I, started con I started converting my favourite recipes that I've always made, like banana and white chocolate muffins, to something more healthy. So um, it's, it started there, really, converting my own recipes. And I thought, I, I actually, I need a book that, um, that I can go to um, to use all the recipes. I was kind of flicking through other cookbooks and using one or two recipes out of those. And and I, um, my cousin is a graphic designer, so I hit him up and said, how do you feel about putting this together for me when I'm ready? And it started in a Word document and ended up in InDesign three and a half years later. Um, so... 
so yeah, that's how it came about, I suppose. I just needed a book for myself to, and then it progressed to helping others and, um, you know, making a difference in what we feed our children. Have you had much uh, influence on fam- family and friends around you? Do people ask, you know, uh, what are you doing? How, how are you doing that? Have, you know, are they noticing a difference with all four of your boys? Yeah, I think so. Um, definitely I have people ask me and that was another element of writing the book as well because people were coming to me saying, you know, what do you put in your kids' lunch boxes and, you know, what do you substitute this with if you want to cut that out of your diet? And, um, yeah, so, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought then. Um, yeah. <laughs> so it was. I was asking you about your influence on family and friends because often, like I can, I can only explain what happened with me. So I was um, a young mom, three children. I uh, went to play group back in those days, play group. I was at the Mons play group. And yeah, and a lot of people would say to me, how do you keep your kids off antibiotics, Cindy? Because I, you know, like I started off, understanding this and having a knowledge about this and knew how I was going to bring my children up, had very, very strict ideas of how I was going to birth my children, you know. And and look, I had a very long birth with my first child and I remember um, them saying, well, you know, we can't go much longer than this. And that was when my mind just went, well, I'll get this baby out. I'm just not going to, you know deal with them interfering in any way and sometimes we have to go to a cesarean section but um, we now have the tools that tell us about seeding um, through a cesarean section and and, um, you know there's a beautiful documentary out about that called microbirth so if anybody is going towards having a baby don't understand what seeding is all about can I recommend you watch you know the movie microbirth so I had already started out this way and, and, I, and when I got to um, playgroup and this was, I wasn't doing anything else. I'd been, I studied as a nutritionist but I was basically a mum. That's all I was. And um, it was amazing how many people would ask me, how do you keep your kids off antibiotics? Why don't you, you know, do this and why do you do that and what, what's that food and why do you feed them that and why don't you let them have this <laughs> I'm just wondering, are you having the same things happening to you? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, there's probably only a handful of people that uh, that are in my circle of my little bubble of um, people at school and things like that. That, in fact, there's probably only about three or four that eat the way that we eat. Um, so. And I know that the kids are always at school. The kids, is, the other kids, are saying to my kids, "What's that in your lunchbox? What are you? Can I try it?" And um, but yeah, definitely. My my goal from here is to educate the kids um, on how foods make them feel, and and teach other parents to. I'm actually doing a talk at my school soon um, before the terms out on ideas for for healthy lunch boxes and you know the one of the teachers said we've got a few packet things creeping back into lunch boxes so um yeah just get out there and do some talks on ideas to put in i think that's what parents are after is ideas to put in you know of foods to make that are easy you know most parents are time poor so something things that are easy to put in their children's lunch boxes 
So let's talk about the pick-a-pack lunchbox, you know, where you go out to the grocery store and you go in between those aisles where you see all those packaged foods and they're, you know, they're screaming out to you that they're gluten-free, that they're low in sugar, that they're low in fat, um, and you pick them up without even regarding what's in them. And then early morning, the lunchbox gets opened, you pick four or five packets out, you throw them in the lunchbox, give it to the children, and we're not, we're not even aware of what these manufacturers are doing and what they're doing to our food and, mm-hmm. and why you mm-hmm. make this effort to, you know, create these beautiful foods for your children. So let, let's talk about your awareness about that. What, what happened? Um, what, what happens when I pack a lunchbox or what happens? No, what happened I... when you had the awareness <laughs> of, of the, did you uh, use those packages? Okay. I used to when the kids were babies, um, but I'd always choose things that um, that had, you know, like whole ingredients, not numbers and things like that. Um, so I guess, yeah, I, I can't bring myself to buy anything in a packet that has more than five ingredients. And if there's a number on there, I'd just say, put it back. <laughs> Let's try and make that from scratch or, um, you know, choose something else. Yeah, my, my kids always used to say to me, because like, what I would say is, oh, we can make that, oh, we can make that, oh, we yeah. can make that. And yeah. so that's their, their thing. They would say, oh, mum can make that. <laughs> you get known as, you know, um, as the things yeah. that your children hear you say all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So can I ask you um, how, how Jess uh, is, how... How, how, how is he doing since you've removed everything um, from, the, from the diet as far as any inflammatory foods that could be um, causing his autoimmune disease to um, continue? Um, funny you ask that, actually. This morning he said to me, um, we're, we're, so, so we're, we're basically paleo um, and because of the limited fruit and vegetables that they eat, I still have some improvements to make there. Um, but he's not full AIP, which is the autoimmune paleo. Um, so we still have nuts and we still have seeds. But he said to me this morning that nuts give him a headache and that was just a random part of the comment. So um, he is very aware of how foods... He's very intuitive when it comes to food. Um, so definitely... If I, I'm like, I know that he, I'm still determined to get him to recover from the alopecia. His hair is growing back. He's got his eyebrows and eyelashes now. Um, and it grew back fully the year after he lost every hair on his head. For the next year, it grew back and he had a full head of hair with no patches. And that's when his eyebrows and eyelashes came back in. And he hasn't lost those. Um, He's only lost um, probably 70% of the hair on his head, I guess. Um, He's well otherwise and, yeah, but he is definitely more sensitive to foods now than he was before and I see um, immediate sort of, um, I guess, changes in he'll come and tell me that he's got a sore tummy and we'll work out what he's eaten and, you know, just cut that cut that back or um yeah so we're, we're still learning we're still learning and and 
eliminating things out of our diet and upping things like um, seaweed and fermented foods. I still can't get them to eat sauerkraut, though. <laughs> I think it's a texture thing. And you know what? It's uh, like I watch my, I have a niece and a nephew that are three and six. Um, they eat sauerkraut because that's all they've known. They don't know yes. um, otherwise. Yeah. And I think yeah. if you, like when you're having children, and I, and I put this out to the young mums out there that haven't had their children yet and may be pregnant for the first time, the first six months of their life is a, a time where um, the children are actually being um, imprinted with what their f- the food is needed in order for them to survive. So yeah. while you're breastfeeding or um, while you're eating when they're around, they're having an imprint on them as to what are the best foods for them. And yeah. um, a lot of people don't realise this. They don't realise that this is their survival mechanism. So if we go back in evolutionary times and we were, you know, with a child, breastfeeding, eating, um, that child was imprinted as to what foods they would survive on in order to, you know, live a healthy life. Whereas these days, we don't even realise this imprinting is happening in that first six months. So if you're not consuming those foods in that first six months, that imprint is not going to be there. So they're not going to see that as a survival mechanism. Um, And and people don't realise this. And once they... Once you give them this information and they realise the importance of not eating, you know, McDonald's or Kentucky Fried Chicken, and and I'm not saying that you were doing that, but I'm just saying there are a lot of people that they'll eat that and then they'll expect their children to eat their fruits and vegetables and their sauerkrauts and their nuts and seeds or whatever. So I I think it's a valuable lesson that um, we have to teach. And then it's just about as they're getting older, we have to keep putting it in front of them and saying... um, you know, we want you to eat it and, and try our best. Yeah. But remembering also yeah. that dysbiosis is is a time when um, the bugs are actually telling the human what to eat. So if yeah. there is some, is a and and like dysbiosis is just that there's not good or bad bugs in there. It's just that there's uh, a an overgrowth of the bugs that should not be overgrown and an undergrowth of the ones that should be there. And and we're still learning. We don't know gut. Uh, we really don't know a lot. We're just guessing. But we do understand that certain bacteria cause certain conditions in the, in the human body. And yeah. so with this dysbiosis, those bugs are actually saying, hey, I want white foods, I want white bread, I want white sugar, I want this, mm-hmm. because that's what's going to make me survive, whereas the other bugs may need, you know, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, meats, ch- eggs, chickens. Um, it, it all yeah. depends. So pe- a lot of people don't realise that, that dysbiosis. And each one of your children having a C-section um, means that there could be that little bit of dysbiosis in there. So looking at what you can do to improve their gut bacteria is using these fermented foods. But in in cases like that, you may have to use um, certain probiotics also. Not that I believe that any of them are any good, but um, probiotics would be an important thing to do with your, with your children. Um, And, and that's why I bought mine out. So mine's a probiotic that's in a, it's a food based probiotic. So it's sauerkraut dried, basically. Um, We use a few more foods, but it's sauerkraut dried so that you can sprinkle it on a few of their things and they don't even know they're getting it. You hope. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there'd be one of them that would sniff it out. <laughs> they, yeah, you try to be the sneaky, organic, you know, yeah. cook, yeah. and then one of them sniffs it out. I remember I used to put in their pizza bases, carrots and zucchini and um, yeah. yeah, and I got away with it most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jez would say, this wasn't the like the one you made before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, my, that's another thing that my children now say, Mum, you can't repeat any recipes because you just throw things in and you just make them up. So they yeah, ask for yeah, a repeat and it never happens. Yeah, yeah. I made a cake for um, Jez, uh, Tate's birthday, just when he turned six, and, and made the cake um, up as I went. And Mum said, did you write it down? I'm like, eh. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? So yeah. as, we, as we go through your book, and, um, and I love it, you've got a picture on one side and then, then writing on the other side, we get to ingredients. So you thoroughly go into um, ingredients that um, you use and ingredients that you actually um, you know, don't use at all. But one of the ones that I loved was that you make your own fruit and vegetable powders. Yes. What made you think of that? Did you see it in a recipe? Tell us about um, how that came about. Oh, do you know what I think? I thought um, I wanted a, a natural colouring for Play-Doh and, um, and I thought, well, beetroot's a good one. And then I, then I just dried it out and... Um, and used it as a as a colouring for for play doh and icing, um, so it went from there, I suppose. And I used to dry. Um, I, I've I've always sort of dried celery for celery salt, um, <sighs> so that's a really fantastic one to dry out the leaves and the stalks and all. Good way to use the leaves that are always abundant in my mum's garden. Um, so yeah, it started from there, I guess, and um, and then I just got a bit addicted to to drying things out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if, if I don't dry it, I ferment it usually if I've got, you know, excess veggies. Yeah, and the really good thing about, um, like what you said, you, you keep the stalks of the celery. Most people throw that out. And I'm thinking about yeah. all the things that we throw out. Um, you know, I, I think I, I read when you were making celery powder, you take the, the bottom off and I think, did I see you use that for broths? Yeah. Yeah, use that in, in the bone broth, yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, juice the stalks and dry the leaves, yeah. Yeah. I think what I find about your book is it's very practical and very easy. There's nothing complicated in it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's what I was after, just easy recipes that, that, that a busy mum can make. You know, I'm just as busy as every mother out there with, with young children, so... Uh, it had to be easy for me too. Mm. Mm. And another thing you talk about, because not everybody can afford organic foods, um, is that Dirty Dozen and, and Clean 15 um, from the yeah. Australian Working... And what is it? The something working group? Or who Environmental Working Group. Environmental Working Group, that's right. Uh, and I always like to look at those because not everybody can afford... Um, you know, organic foods. Although, if we've we, if we have gardens in our backyard, um, then we can start to grow some things. Like my thing at the moment is, I've been listening to this gentleman by the name of um, Dr. Zach Bush, and he talks about the victory gardens that we had after the Second World War, where everybody was asked, and during the Second World War, where everyone was asked to plant gardens and fruit trees. 
um, in order to survive the rations and everything that was happening. And we kind of have lost that. We haven't got those gardens going anymore. And I often say to my husband when he's planting a tree that produces nothing, maybe beauty but it, and maybe carbon capture, but it doesn't produce anything. I said, well, why can't we just put a lemon tree there? Or why don't we just put a mango tree there? Or why don't we, you know, we put some, you know, some other tree there. And, and instead of having grass, let's have herbs growing. Or instead of having grass, let's have a, yeah. a vegetable garden growing. So that's one way that we can have control of the food that we are consuming. And my father's got an orange tree in the backyard. He can't keep up with the amount of oranges that that tree produces. And so then... <laughs> You know, you start to either sell them um, at markets or you might give them to friends or do a barter system. So there, where there's a will, there, there is definitely a way. But let's yes, talk yes. about these dirty dozen. Uh, so it's, it's so sad, but apples um, are, are one. Um, blueberries, and I find all berries, I, I've, what they yes. do to berries now, uh, they spray them and they so easily absorb those chemicals. Capsicums, which are easily grown. Celery, <laughs> that grows like a weed. So do cucumbers. Yeah. Um, grapes, yeah. you, can, you know, grapes are easy to grow. Lettuce, my goodness, yeah. lettuce is just a matter of planting and then six weeks later you have yeah. these beautiful things. Nectarines and yeah. peaches. Um, here on the coast is not so easy but in the hinterland it's okay. You can do potatoes and um, sweet potato and spinach and strawberries. Like we can grow everything that's in that dirty dozen. Now I know that you have moved to Rosemont um, on the Sunshine Coast and you have um, over an acre of land. Tell me what you're doing on that land. I have a long list of fruit trees that have planted in the last 18 months. Um, so we are, we are growing every citrus. I've got a couple of mandarins, a couple of limes. Um, we've got mulberries, mangoes, grapes, raspberries, blueberries. I have got a peach tree. Um, it's a little bit worse for wear. I'm trying to revive it back in the pot. Um, and it's a, it's a China flat peach, which is a subtropical peach. And um, I've, got, I've got high hopes for it, but I don't know if it's going to produce. And there is actually an apple that is a subtropical apple that you yeah. can grow um, mm-hmm. on the Sunshine Coast. But yeah, well, so we're just um, a work in progress and my veggie garden is to come. It's going to be a greenhouse and my husband's going to build it for me. Um, <laughs> so, but literally, like when you said about lettuce, I've got this, um, I guess it's like a mini uh, raised garden bed, but it's probably only a quarter of a square metre. And I've probably got about 10 lettuce in there. And, yeah, like I say, five weeks later, after a seedling, you've got this these beautiful lettuce and they're so flavoursome. There's just nothing else like picking your own veggies out of your garden. Mm. You know, I was, uh, I've been speaking around the country and uh, I mentioned that um, our lettuces, if they last, you know, the ones you buy in the grocery store, if they last for quite some time, they're usually... Um, I guess, dipped in something called Nature Seal. Nature Seal is a product that you'll never see the ingredient on your ingredient list, but it's a process that um, rocket and spinaches and leafy types of vegetables uh, are put into in order to preserve them or even cut fruits. They, they will do that to preserve them. And yet you'd never see that on the ingredient list. And somebody said to me, they said, Cindy, what about organic? And I said, well, 
I actually don't know. I haven't looked into the organic. Well, she did the next day. And the next day she rang one of the more famous organic packaged lettuces and rocket um, and green, you know, producers out there and said, do you put anything in your um, dip that you put the lettuces in when you wash them or anything like that? And they said, oh, yes, we use, and I can't remember the name of it and I don't have it in front of me. But basically I looked it up when she rang me or she actually put it on the Functional Nutrition Academy um, Facebook page. And when she rang me, uh, when when she put it on, I looked it up and it's a sanitizer. It's um, kills bugs. And so to grow your lettuces, we don't know this is happening because they're not telling us. It's not, it doesn't have to be on the ingredient list. So to grow your lettuces is not hard, like you said, six weeks later. And I love the idea of a greenhouse, especially here on the Sunshine Coast because we have an abundance of bugs <laughs> that like lettuce and spinach and kale. And, yeah. mm. But, you know, I think, you know, when you're you're faced with a crisis, which is, is what you had. And it's not necessarily a life-threatening crisis, but it is a crisis no. still in, the, in with the children. And, and this is what we're ha- finding is that autoimmune diseases are increasing at an unprecedented rate, not only amongst our, um, our children, but our, our teenagers and our adults. And it can come in many flavours from mental disease to physical um, things that we see to things that we don't see, like as alopecia, but or things that we don't see that um, are like a thyroid condition or type one diabetes yeah. or rheumatoid arthritis yeah. or you know, and and then we can which go to the ones, yeah, which may not get diagnosed until there's so much damage that in, in the gut or in the immune system that um you know it's hard to come back from. Yeah, very hard to come back from. Um, but it can be, you know, we can come back from it by the sounds of it, you know, soon after you remove the foods that were inflaming and increasing yeah. the autoimmune disease on Jess, you actually, um, you know, saw some improvement. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Yeah. yeah improvement in all, in all of them as well. I know even my eldest, he's he's got a bit of an iron gut, but um, and he grew up on... You know, having wheat bix at um at breakfast every morning, and he complained of bubbles in his tummy back then. That was his way of explaining it. He said that he had bubbles in his tummy and he used to grind his teeth when he go to sleep, and little things like that that are just no longer. Like Jez, even Jez had eczema behind his um, knees, and there, there's no eczema in our family whatsoever. Um, so that improved um, along with homeopathics, and I think it was mostly the food. Um, but so many little things like that, it's just crazy. And people, people are dealing with these ailments every day with their children um, and, you know, just tweaking the diet or introducing fermented foods can make an enormous difference. But what's scary, and, and I'd, I'd like to ask you, when you went to the trichologist, um, and they're specialists, aren't they, in um, alopecia, is that yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, in um, scalp hair and skin scalp. hair. Yeah. Okay. So when you went to the dermatologist and the trichologist, um, did they talk about diet? Did you ask them the question, um, if I, I change the diet, will it make any difference? Was that something that you questioned or did they even consider diet to be an option for the treatment of um, alopecia? 
No, it, I, I don't recall asking the question, to be honest. I was probably a bit overwhelmed with what was going on then. Um, but I, I guess I knew within myself that it was. that Well, not, not that it was the cause of it. Um, I believe the trigger was a virus that he had, which is a hit to the immune system. Mm. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I don't recall um, him saying, oh, look, you know, you need to cut out gluten and dairy out of your diet. Mm. Um, and certainly the GP didn't. And the trichologist I only spoke to over the phone and um, she sold me a few topical things like a, a hair wash sort of thing, which I used for a little while, but um, I wasn't entirely happy with the ingredients in it, so I stopped using that. Did you look at the ingredients in it? Well, I, like I often wonder. Yeah, I, I, I looked it up at the time. But they weren't overly... Um, nasty but I just thought well it's not topical like it's not coming from the outside it's coming from the inside but they um, didn't they didn't look at anything on the inside except maybe a steroid is that is that what they the trichologist I only spoke to over the phone and gave her my story and I think I sent her photos and things like that um so we didn't have a, a face-to-face appointment with her um but yeah the dermatologist certainly didn't ask what he was eating, that's for sure, yeah. Hmm. I, I, I find it fascinating that um, more often than not we're not even looking at food. I've just um, interviewed Dr. Rodney Ford. He's um, He works out of Christchurch. He's a medical doctor. He graduated in 1972 and um, he's known as the gluten doctor because everybody thinks that the only thing he does is take people off gluten, but you know, he, he actually um, has a, an amazing success rate with, with children with autoimmune diseases as well as um, gastrointestinal problems because he's not only a paediatrician but he's a gastroenterologist. And he basically said that even today they still disagree with him. And even when he shows case studies, one, he sees thousands of case studies right after the other, they all just say there's, there's no evidence. And I remember um, talking to a very good friend of mine who's a medical doctor and we were talking about, you know, evidence-based medicine and evidence, you know, evidence-based research. And, um, you know, unless the evidence is there and unless there's been a double-blind study, a placebo effect, whatever, um, they're not going to accept it, even though um, case studies are maybe N equals a 1,000, even though they're all maybe a little bit different, but they did this to them and they did this type of diet and they had to ha- they made some changes. Have you been yeah. back to your dermatologist or have you spoken again to the trichologist and, and said what you're doing? No, I have. Um, I did mention it to my GP that Jesse Sayre was growing back and um, he just said, oh, that's good. <laughs> So, no, I haven't been back to the trichologist or I guess, um, you know, the the way that Simon and I, that's my husband, dealt with it was we didn't want to focus too much on on Jez and the fact that he doesn't have hair. We kind of just went, oh, well, this is what's happened and we're going to deal with it this way. Um, So I didn't want to put Jez through, you know, all these testings and poking and prodding and things like that. So... Um, you know, I've thought about doing blood, blood analysis and, um, you know, there's a few other tests out there, you know, focusing more on the gut bacteria and things like that. But I guess I just, Jez is, Jez is happy. I, I guess I did, didn't want to put him through the stress as alopecia can be stress-related. Um, 
So, no, yeah, I haven't been back to those specialists, no. Hmm. I, I love Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. I don't know if you've read her yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, gut, yeah, gut and psychology syndrome. Um, gaps. Yeah, yeah. I love her. She says three months on the diet, three months of lifestyle changes. If you are not getting results, then we do the testing. And yeah. um, because she just believes we just do too much testing in the beginning when we know what the issue is. Um, yes. for the most part, not always, um, but for the most part, especially with autoimmune diseases, we know that there is one, a genetic component, two, it's the environmental factor, and three, it's the gut. You've got a, yeah, a gut yeah. that is um, basically leaking. And, yeah. um, you know, and, and she says, then if we're having problems, let's do some testing. But most people within that three-month period start to see results like you did in two weeks, yeah. which is, yeah. is just phenomenal. Now, I'm... I want to talk to you about pseudograins because you talk about pseudograins in your cookbook. Can you explain what a pseudograin is and what you do to deactivate that pseudograin? Okay. Uh, what, from what I understand, a pseudograin is it's a, it's a, a, they come from a plant, obviously, and it's a grain-like seed. So it, it behaves like a grain, um, but it's actually a seed. Um, so to to activate them, or uh, do you, you call it deactivating? Do you? Well, what I'm saying is deactivate. What we're doing is we're deactivating the the um, anti nutrients that might be in the the amaranth quinoa or buckwheat, um, and yeah, so it's de- yeah. that's what I call it. It's it's activating. What you're doing is sprouting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so to take out the yeah uh, yeah. I don't know the scientific words, but um, I soak them and to make them more easily digestible. Yeah, soak them and with I, I soak the uh, amaranth and quinoa and buckwheat with apple cider, uh-huh. and I soak the nuts, seeds, and well, nuts and seeds with uh, salt and the water. So your dehydrator must be going nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's moved from the kitchen to the garage now because it's just too too noisy and hot in the kitchen. So yeah, yeah, yeah it does. Yeah, it does. One of the things that we do for our chickens is that we sprout all their grains. So um, I have around thirty chickens, and um, oh. we have a rotation of soaking the grains. Then um, we sprout them for a period of two days. So it's a rotation all the time. It's just we're either soaking, yeah. um, you know, yeah. sprouting or they're on their second sprout and we're washing them and then and we give them to yeah, the chickens. Yeah. Because yeah, it, yeah. it's like for anybody, um, these, these grains or seeds have anti-nutrients in them. They're there to protect them um, from them being wiped out off the planet. And our yeah. cultures and our traditions have taught us this and we threw it all away uh and mm. i'm even seeing some of these seeds um or grains being used as alternatives to wheat um or a gluten flour and for me they're they still got some anti-nutrients in them and so our tradition was always to make a slurry with them or a, or a porridge um, or yeah. to sourdough um, and ferment them in some way or sprout them. And I love the old tradition of 
of everybody getting, you know, getting back to, to doing this. So when you started fermenting, um, tell me, uh, you know, did you end up going to classes or did you just look it up on YouTube or, you know, what, what made you get into this? Yeah, I did actually do a class um, back with um, Robin. Oh, I can't think of her last name, to be honest, but I did do a class. It was great. And we learned how to make um, cashew cheese and a few other things. Um, so I guess it was just experimenting. Um, and I think what freak I've, I've taught a couple of, I've done a few fermenting classes, probably done about six or eight now on the Sunshine Coast. And I think what people freak out most is that they're going to do it wrong and it's going to taste disgusting or it's going to go bad and they're going to get, you know, sick from it or whatever. Um, but it truly is really easy and and I know when I eat sauerkraut every day, if I, if I go off it for a bit and have a break, I know my tummy does strange things. So, mm. um, yeah, just having even if it's quarter of a cup a day is so beneficial. Yeah, most definitely. And because what we're doing is perhaps not um, putting back those bacteria in our gut, but we're um, helping the commensal bacteria in our gut um, with not only the prebiotics, but any of the probiotics that are in there. And they're in a very natural way. And they're usually soil based. So if you're doing cabbages, there's still there'll be bacteria on the cabbage, even if you wash it um, and then you're rubbing it with your hands. You know, you do that whole rubbing notion with your hands and then um, bring out the juice of the cabbage to make the sauerkraut. I went to uh, Elizabeth Fauconia um, to learn all about this many, many years ago. She's um, still around the coast and she's quite amazing in her cheese making and her fermentation and her sourdough. So she's been doing this a long time. And so I remember doing it and I I realise now that soil-based bacteria are the ones that we should be, um, you know, digesting because these were our traditional bacteria that we digested. Um, And by making our own, getting it from our garden um, and making sure that there's no glyphosate being sprayed and that the place is clean and the ecology as well, then um, it enhances our our gut bacteria. It's... it's, um, you know, it's the way nature intended it. And I'm, I've, I did a, um, an interview with Dr. Cheryl Selman, um, which lasted for quite some time. We ended up putting it into two, and, and everyone will have listened to this by the time they listen to this interview here. Um, and she starts, she's talking about spore um, probiotics. And I, I said to her, well, what are spore probiotics? And, and it's basically soil-based probiotics, or it's spoil-based um, bacteria, sorry. Um, and we get them by taking a carrot out of the ground and eating it and it's still got some soil in it, or, you know, bits of soil. But we, we don't do that anymore. We want everything so clean and neat and tidy and then we put sanitizers in it or our food companies put sanitizers in it and we lose the ability yeah. to consume soil-based bacteria. Yeah, and, I, and also, um, you know, I'm aware of when I pick a lettuce out of the garden, it's, it's still living when you're eating mm. it. So... That's got to make a huge difference. And by the time you bought buy it from the store, it's basically on its way out, you know, mm. um, as far as life left in it. Um, but even with, with the dirt thing, even kids playing in the dirt, you know, um, we've got red soil out here. It is it is bright red. You could, you could make Play-Doh with it. <laughs> um, 
but it's, it's my my boy Tate absolutely loves playing out there, and I just let him go on the weekend, and he was out there for like four hours playing in the dirt, had the hose out, making mud, you know. And I just think of all that, all that good bacteria and um, you know microorganisms that are going through his skin and, and his toes, and you know, it's just we need more of that as well. Yeah, definitely. When I was speaking in England probably 10 years ago, I had this nurse come up to me and I was talking about back then, you know, we've got to get back into the soils and ground and play in nature and and walk through old forests and, you know, do things like that. I was saying things like that and she comes up to me and she says, do you know that we give mud pills in England? And I said, what's a mud pill? She says, it's soil. Oh, wow. Capsules. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just felt, I choked. I went, oh, my goodness, why don't they just play on the ground, you know? So, yeah. It's quite amazing. Now, I know that you have ideas for more books. Um, like, I, have, I just want everybody to know that you are a mum of four young boys. You also have a stepdaughter, so we've already gone through this. You're a busy woman. You've produced this uh, amazing cookbook here on the Sunshine Coast, and I have to tell everybody, it is beautiful. It's called The Clean Lunchbox, and by the end of this talk, you'll know where you can get it. What, what else do you want to write about? What else is burning inside you that you want to um, tell people about? Definitely birthday parties. It's um, I go to these birthday parties with the kids. Not so much now; they're a bit older. But it's just it's appalling, seriously. What what people put out for that? I know the kids think it's fun that they've got all this food there, but it doesn't do them any good, and they and they seriously don't need it. I've had I've had plenty of sugar free birthday parties with you know up to fifteen kids there. And um, they don't go, well, where's our lollies? You know, they, they don't need it and they, they don't understand. You know, we have to teach them that that's not actually food. Mm. Um, so definitely a birthday party book. Um, and, and then the other one would be household products, cutting back on chemicals in the household and, um, you know, just go back to using lemon juice and bicarb soda and essential oils and how easy that is to actually do and a lot more cost effective that's for sure um you know and what you can clean with vinegar and or orange juice or um you know you don't have to be using chemicals i can't i can't bring myself to buy any chemicals for anything these days and um you know it's the whole clean thing isn't it it's like we think we've got to be so clean yeah everything's got to be but within reason. Yeah, I, I, I go to restaurants and places like that and you see a group of people leave and then you see um, the busker or the, the person who's cleaning up the, the whole table come through with this spray, like Glen 20 or something like that, and spray it. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, that's, that's what I'm eating off. So I, I like to look for pl- people that are, are really thinking and, and, and stopping the spraying of these chemicals and using bleachers and throwing things down toilets that shouldn't be thrown down toilets and um, in our bathrooms, in our kitchens and things like that. It's, it's interesting, Michelle, um, you know, in your cookbook, I love your salt section. So how to make up vegetable salt. So you've got the celery and onion, the seaweed and the rainbow. So when I wrote my book back in 1998, 
I said, you know, make up some salt, get some Himalayan salt and get some dulse and mix them together and then you'll have iodized salt. You don't need to be buying this refined salt with anti-caking agents and bleaches and potassium iodide. You don't need to be doing that. You can make up your own. And about, I think it was probably seven or eight years ago, my husband said to me, how many people ask you about how you make up that salt, Cindy? And I said, oh, probably 10 a week. And he said, why don't we make it up for them? And and that was the beginning of Changing Habits food line was that salt and dolls. Because what I find is that I, I love what you are doing and your tenacity and that you are willing to make everything from scratch. But there are a lot of people out there that just aren't willing to do it, even though the recipe's sitting in front of them, they know what to do. So one of the things that Changing Habits has decided to do, um, because, you know, I've offered books about um, cleaning products and um, it's not hard, is it? It's, it's not a hard thing to do, but there are some people that just do not either have the time or the inclination or want to even consider it. And I think sometimes they think it's not going to work, that you need science and chemicals and things like that. So one of the things that we are doing at Changing Habits, um, so for the people who want the recipes, go to Michelle's new book that will be coming out that we'll talk about. But for those that um, don't... Have not got that inclination. We we actually created a whole bunch of um, cleaning products, um, and I could have had just one product and diluted it down, um, uh, you know, in different dilutions because we use the same types of things. But um, we didn't. We actually use different essential oils, um, and we we are bringing them out for people. But. You know, there are, we've just found that, you know, I've been in this business for nearly four decades and I thought it was all about here, this is the way you do it, this is what you do. And for some people that's okay, but for other people, they just, they just seem to want to, yeah, to just purchase it. Mm. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. Yeah. Where do you you sell your products? Is it, are they online? Online. Everything's online. Yeah. All of and and we do have um, GoVida, which is a um, around Australia. There's around I think over 200 stores that are linked to the GoVida chain. So GoVida do yes. buy from us, so people can buy our products from GoVida. But the problem is, is that not every GoVida has all of our products. So that's why we yes. tell people to just go to changinghabits.com.au and um, yes. and and have a look at what we do have and. And I like like you. You obviously research. I research everything uh, that we purchase, and um, we're now starting something called a um, a marketplace. So it's called the Changing Habits Marketplace, where we will source from reputable people books, um, activated nuts and seeds, because some people don't want to do that as well. Um, we will source everything that I source. Um, and believe me, it's taken me a long time to know the foods yeah. and the, and the people yeah. and the companies. You you know exactly. <laughs> I can hear you going. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. So we'll start a marketplace. Um, and I have a feeling we may have to get your book in. So changing habits. Um, people watch out for um, Michelle and um, this beautiful cookbook and. Um, and we will probably have Michelle on when she writes her next book. 
Yeah, it could be a while, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, with four little boys, but if you've done this already, I know you'll do it. So I look forward to it. Yeah. yeah. Is, let's tell everybody how they can find you. So what is your website? Uh, it's all the W's uh, at the, uh, dot thecleanlunchbox.com.au. Yeah, it's pretty easy. And Michelle's last name is Lynch, L-Y-N-C-H. And um, she's got all her story in there. What about Instagram? You're in inst- Instagram as well, aren't you? Yeah, new to Instagram since I published, so I'm getting my head around that still. Um, but, yeah, there's a, there's a great Facebook page there that I can share articles and um, new recipes on too. And, and your Facebook and Instagram names? Um, the Facebook is The Clean Lunchbox. Yep. And Instagram is The Clean Lunchbox as oh. well. See, that makes it easy for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any other words of wisdom, Michelle, to mothers who are facing what you were facing? Any words of wisdom from you? Um, take a breath and trust your instincts. I think that's very good because a mother has amazing instincts. They know when their child has gotten sick. They know what caused it. Like you saw a virus um, that prompted that. And and we do know that. So I love it. Thank you so much. So if you want to learn more about Michelle, please go to her website, thecleanlunchbox.com.au. And if you've um, liked this recording um, of Up for a Chat, um, please give us a five-star rating. And if you want any more information, go to um, Facebook forward slash Up for a Chat. If you have any questions or comments about this, please let us know. Um, If you have any other questions or any other people that you'd like us to interview, uh, give us a, a message on our Facebook page, which is Up for a Chat. So until next week, um, go out, make some changes, do it step by step, bit by bit, and we as a collective group of individuals may be able to influence our family and friends and then a community, a country, and then the planet. Bye for now. This year, the Wellness Summit returns. The only lesson is ever going to be your learning. That's it. As long as you're learning... That's your lesson. When you stand in front of the mirror, the talk, the things that go on between these ears in the morning can also be what sets you up for a day. And if you've beaten yourself up for not being the most extraordinary person that you can be, then start now. We make it hard for ourselves. We make things difficult for ourselves because we go and apply a whole bunch of stories and a whole bunch of drama and a whole bunch of I'm not good enough to the things that occur in our lives. Wake the heck up. Today is a new day. Here's where it can change. Kim Morrison and Karen Smith feature at the 2018 Wellness Summit. Bigger and better than ever. Tickets on sale Friday, May 4 at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.